Get ready to explore faith, doubt, and all that's in between. Welcome to Doubting It with Charlotte Pence Bond. Hi there, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us back on the Doubting It podcast. Today, we have a really great guest. Billy Hallowell joins us. He is an author. He's a podcast host. Um, He's a writer. He does a ton of other stuff. Honestly, I cannot keep up. But he um, and I have not met in person, but we've worked together and actually kind of met through uh, starting up this podcast, which is really cool. But as I was doing this, I was realizing Billy would be a great person to have on the podcast because he not only because of a lot of reasons and the fact that he's a faith leader and a thought leader and a prominent thinker, think out there for Christians right now, but he just wrote a book on kind of an interesting topic that we're going to get into. So recently wrote this book called Playing with Fire, and it's about spiritual forces. It's about evil forces in the world. Um, It's about, he kind of goes into these different levels that we're going to talk about of talking about modern day demonic possession, uh, modern day exorcisms, which are really tricky topics and really um, very dark. Honestly, this is a dark episode, but it gets to a brighter place, I think, because his book really focuses on a why the church doesn't really talk about this that much. And then what the Bible actually says about these topics. And this episode, I believe, is going to air around Halloween, which is interesting on its own. And we'll get into that as well. We'll get into like cultural ways that this kind of impacts our lives and just personal convictions about this and where we stand on an individual level in the ways that we talk about, honestly, very dark things. And what I really loved talking about in this podcast with him specifically is the healing component and what the Bible says about that specifically. So without further ado, let's get into it and talk to Billy Hallowell, author of Playing With Fire. All right. Well, welcome to Billy Hallowell. Thank you for joining us on the Doubting It podcast. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is great. Um, you and I have not met in person, but we've been working together <laughs> over <laughs> podcasting things for a little while. So this is fun to be able to connect and to actually talk about you know faith and spirituality and things like that. It is. It's so funny how you can talk to people with technology for so long without yeah. actually seeing people, right? Uh-huh. I mean, it's so crazy. It happens to me all the time now. So it's good to see you face to face here. I know. And then you have to say, you know, nice to meet you, like even over Zoom and things like that. Like that's normal now. It's, it's definitely funny. But well, first of all, um, for those who don't know you, can you explain a little bit who you are and just a little bit about your faith journey as well? You're you know, an author and a podcast host and you wear a lot of hats, but can you just give us a snippet of how that's kind of played into your faith journey or testimony? Sure. Yeah. When I was, so it's kind of crazy. I'm going to be 37 in a few days. And when I was 15, I started getting involved in media and I'm a lifelong Christian. I grew up in the church, um, but I think it wasn't until my college years, like college ending, sort of moving into adulthood that I really started owning faith for myself. But when I was 15, I actually started getting involved in media and I was really lucky to just be in a community where there were people around me who sort of fostered that 
you know, journalistic curiosity, which I had my whole life. I always wanted to be a journalist. I always wanted to dive into media. And it's just really interesting the journey God set you on because I started out you know, right when I was finishing college, I was, I had been speaking around the country as a teenager and I kind of moved into this sort of journalism role. And then I was doing commentary and I was on Fox News and kind of just getting to experience the debate and politics side of life. And then God just kept bringing me into faith, more into sort of professional work in faith. And that was not my goal. I wanted to work in politics, right? So I was like, no, I want to cover politics. That's what I want to do. And it was really interesting because I ended up at The Blaze, uh, where I was the faith editor for five and a half years. And that was just an amazing experience. I wrote 12,000 stories over the course of those five and a half years and um, went to Faithwire, where I worked as a senior editor. And so I've just been in this media world. And a couple of years ago, um, I had the opportunity to start writing books and just tackling some of these topics that are difficult. My first book was on the end times and just what do Christians believe from a journalistic lens about the end times and what are the different ideas that are out there in the Christian realm? And so I've been really blessed to do that. And then uh, in 2018, I joined the staff at PureFlix full-time and just directing communication, hosting shows. I host the PureFlix podcast. And so there's been a lot of just really interesting elements of that journey. But my faith journey at the core of that has really just been one. And I know hearing your podcast and, and hearing episode one, uh, where you talked about your journey, it's very similar. You know, I kind of grew up in the church and had to own it for myself. I had to reach a place where I said, I believe this. I know this is true. It's not just what my parents have you know, said. And it took a lot of mistake making and problems and issues that I sort of went through to get mm -hmm. there. But it's been amazing. And I would say it wasn't probably until my the last like three or four years that I've really come more into it. Right. So I, you know, mentally I was always there, but it really has taken time to get there. And it's been an amazing, amazing journey. That's awesome. Well, so you're talking about books that you've written in the past. So we're going to talk a little bit about your most recent book as well, which has to do with, you know, topics of spirituality and specifically kind of darker topics, um, which was really interesting for me. So it's called Playing with Fire. And I, I honestly was nervous to read this at first because <laughs> I yeah. was like, you know, I don't, I have to read this during the day and everything because it's kind of freaking me out. But it was really, really interesting, honestly. And, and it is a very journalistic, I would say. Um, was that on purpose? Were you trying to do that as well with this book? Absolutely. I really, I really wanted to approach this from a place of helping people understand because churches aren't talking about a lot of churches. I shouldn't say all, they don't mm -hmm. talk about this topic and there's lots of reasons for that. And I, I like to break things down and try to understand. And I'm naturally kind of a skeptical person when it comes to these kinds of things. Not that I don't believe them. I know it exists. I know it's real, but I also know a lot of people make things up or you assume maybe inadvertently that something happening has some deeper, you know, spiritual meaning when really it's just maybe a bad decision you've made or something has happened um, mm -hmm. and there's a natural explanation. So I wanted to approach it from really a, a biblical standpoint, right? What does the Bible say? And so a chunk of the book really goes into what the Bible actually tells us. And I had never looked at it in that isolated way before. I had never said, I'm going to look at what the Bible says about 
evil, about Satan. And I'm going to look at those moments where Jesus is healing people. I just never done that before. And so I wanted to do that and then try to help other people because for me, I never approach a book project as though I'm the expert because I'm not. That's never been my role. I don't go and pitch a book and say, hey, I want to write a book and give people all the advice in the world on whatever the topic is, right? So so that was my approach. It was to really journalistically break down that issue. Yeah, no, and you can definitely see that. So what led you, first of all, to write this book? Because it's all about exorcism, ghosts, and demons. And so is this something that you kind of started seeing a theme that people weren't talking about it? Or how did it kind of come to your mind originally? Yeah, you know, it first started actually when I was at The Blaze, there were some stories that were were popping out in mainstream press, which is really rare, obviously, where there was an incident in Indiana, and I'm happy to talk about it in detail, but, but this particular incident was a mother... Um, a grandmother, so a mom, her mom, and three kids. And they were making claims about things that were happening to them in their home. And it became a really big story. The Indie Star covered it. And mm -hmm. the, the story itself happened in 2011. The news reporting on it was 2014. And so we covered that at The Blaze. And then around the same time, The Conjuring movies were coming out. And of course, the filmmakers were trying to promote those movies and they were bringing the real life families that were apparently at the basis of the, the real life story behind the film um, to media to talk with them. And so those were some of the first stories that I started diving into, of course, skeptically, but I was really interested in trying to understand because I had never thought about it. Well, what are demons, right? We're, we're told they're fallen angels. What does that mean? And I think there's a real danger, and I, and I want to say this too, of getting obsessed with these topics, right? There's a lot of Christians who they see a demon behind every doorway. Everything is demonic. But then as we were talking, there are a lot of people who are not speaking about this. They're not talking about it at all. It's not feel good. It freaks us out. And so I've always kind of been in that camp of just, I'm not going to talk a lot about it, but those stories and covering them really kind of brought me to a place of wanting to know more. Um, and I'll be honest with you, this book project came to me a few years ago and I said, no, like I, I said, no, you know what? I don't want to do this. I, I put together a two pager and sent it over to a publisher. They loved it. They wanted to do it. I prayed about it. It didn't feel right. And so what was really strange is this opportunity came again and when it came again last year, I did not fill out a book proposal. I was not seeking it. I was trying to write a book, ironically, about politics, right? And about faith and where we are right now. And mm -hmm. I thought it was a slam dunk. Everyone's going to want this book, you know, and you should never think that because nobody wanted it. And it was, a, <laughs> nobody wanted to pick the book up. But one of the publishers, Thomas Nelson, came back and said, we really want to do something with you. Let's talk. And so this topic was brought up during that conversation. And what was so wild is they called and made an offer on this book without really a proposal. I mean, they really wanted to dive into this topic and they've been great partners in, in doing so. That's awesome. You know, that that's interesting that you say that some people are get kind of obsessed with it. Because when I was reading it, I was remembering the quote in Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis kind of in his introduction. And I had to go look it up. But he, he talks about how basically there are like two responses that are equally bad in, you know, response to like thinking about, he calls them devils. And he says, you know, one is to totally disbelieve in their existence. And then the other is to have this, this unhealthy fascination of, you know, magicians or psychics or whatever. And you get into that as well, which I think is also kind of interesting because I feel like in today's world and with young people, especially there is like, 
a fascination with kind of playing with that, like playing with fire, as it's called. What was your findings with that, with with how it's it's in, in the culture? Because you kind of start the book off talking about how it's in the culture a little bit. Yeah. I mean, Hollywood is obsessed with this topic. In fact, there were some pastors I interviewed in the book, and they were saying Hollywood talks more about this than the church does. And wow. they're not doing it accurately, right? But they're addressing the topic more because it's it's scary and it brings viewers in. I mean, think about every October, whether it's the Saw, some sort of, and that's not demonic necessarily, but some sort mm-hmm. of movie about evil that's coming out. Many of those films are dealing with ghosts or demons or some sort of thing theme that touches on this and that is convicting right to sort of to sort of see that and to say wow they're actually talking about this more than we are and and it obviously magic and i think there's also in a there's also a tendency among some of us to also overreact like if there's any magic whatsoever some people are like my kid is not going to go anywhere near this we're not going to do it and i think when you look at most disney movies when you look at most cartoons there there's some element of, of the imagination right but when you get into this quest for power and i think that's what's really interesting there are people who really and i know listeners might not believe this or or know of it but who go out and they seek power they want the kind of power that they feel they can get from some of these darker places. And so there's actually a psychiatrist who I cover in the book. I didn't interview him for the book, but I talked about some of his work, uh, Richard Gallagher, and he's here in New York where I am. And he dealt with this satanic priestess, this woman who literally worshiped Satan. Uh, And she had come to him for help. And this is a guy who's well-respected. He teaches at Columbia, I believe. He He's somebody who a lot of people look to for psychiatry. Well, he takes this case on. He works with the Catholic Church. He actually helps determine whether somebody is mentally ill or they're dealing with a spiritual issue. And this woman wanted healing. And she couldn't break herself of that worship. She liked the power she was getting from that relationship that she had with evil. And yet, at the same time, was afraid of it. And it was a really interesting case to read about. And to see what he was saying about it, because he couldn't help her. She wasn't willing to change. And so there are people in that boat where they are very legitimately looking for that sort of thing. And I hadn't really thought about that. I mean, I knew it existed. I knew it was out there. And I interviewed somebody in the book who started with Dungeons and Dragons, right? Now, I'm not demeaning Dungeons and Dragons. I'm not putting it down. What What I will say is what was interesting about his case, he had a troubled childhood he was looking for power. He didn't have power in his life. And he it ended up, this fascination with this game ended up manifesting itself later on. And again, that's on him and his decision, right? But more on mm-hmm. looking for power. And so he found himself so afflicted. And this may sound unbelievable to some, but but I... I believe his story. I think that I know for a fact there are others who who I know who actually have ministered with him, worked with him. He would go to sleep at night and tell his friends, hey, I'm not going to go to the bar tonight. I'm going to go to bed. I got to work tomorrow. And he would wake up in the bar, fully clothed, smoking a a cigar and couldn't remember how he got there. Um, So you have these wild stories. And so I could go on and on. But yeah, there's so much to unpack there. Yeah. Wow. So when you were doing this research, how did that affect you? I mean, did you have to really be just cognizant? I feel like a lot of times when I, you know, I don't know, think about that, the spirituality kind of stuff, and it it can get really dark. Absolutely. I'm not going to lie to you. I did not want to write this book. I sat on that contract for two months. I told you I rejected it the first time. The second time (laughs) I kept saying to my wife, like, are we inviting something? Like, I don't want to invite 
something mm -hmm. in. And part of that, to be honest with you, I think being busy with two kids, and this is a terrible excuse, but having so much go on in life, it's easy to let quiet time and prayer and mm -hmm. all the things in Ephesians 6. And I think Ephesians 6 is so powerful because it talks about the battle over good and evil that you know is happening. It's not about flesh and blood. It's about this other battle that's going on. And we're told to pick up the shield, right? Pick up the shield of righteousness. And what does that mean? To me, that means making sure you're in the word every day, making sure you're praying, that you, you're you constantly keeping that relationship up and that you're protected as a Christian because of that. But I, I didn't really have a full understanding of that before this book. And mm -hmm. so I really made, a made it a point as I was writing it to wake up every morning, which I do, and I should have been doing it before, um, reading my Bible every morning, either praying or journaling prayer, which is something I do, making sure that that's the first thing I do I mean, I pour coffee first and then I go downstairs and that's what I do with my coffee, but that's what I'm doing. And I have to be honest with you. I know a lot of people, they, they face spiritual warfare when they do these projects. It was the most peaceful experience mm -hmm. and it really opened my eyes to what we're told in scripture really, which is that we have authority over this. It's not something to be afraid of, even though I think that's our human nature. And so it's been remarkably peaceful despite my initial fear. <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with Billy Hallowell on the Downing It podcast. This podcast is part of the Edify podcast network. Edify is a faith inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. All right, and welcome back to Doubting It with Charlotte Pence Bond. And we have our guest here today is Billy Hallowell, author of Playing With Fire, which is a book about dark spiritual forces in the world and what the Bible says about them, which we were just talking about a second ago. And you were say, saying Ephesians 6 about this idea of putting on the full armor of God. And that that stuck out to me in the book, too, because I was noticing that the, a big theme of the book is, is hopeful, which is kind of interesting with the topic, obviously. But I definitely got that, that, you know, this isn't something that the Bible doesn't talk about, talks about it a lot, but it's always in a victorious sense because Jesus conquers the demons and then also gives us the ability to do that and to uh, fight against the devil's schemes in the, you know, like you were saying, in the, the battle of good and evil that's kind of going on all the time. Why do you think, I kind of was wondering as I was reading it, since the Bible does talk about this, why do you think people kind of veer away from talking about it in church settings? Or also, did you find, because I find, I feel like a lot of people I know talk about this, which is kind of interesting, Because, but then I realized I hadn't heard about it in the church that much. And so it's almost like among certain Christians, you kind of feel it out like, okay, it's, it's like okay to... Mm -hmm say, oh, this might be something else going on. I'll pray, you know, over that specific thing. Did you find that, that there was that difference that like some people will talk about it, but the church then won't? And why was that? Yeah, because I think what's so interesting, even when you go out and you ask the American public, do you believe in ghosts? And we could talk about that, but this term ghosts, right? Mm -hmm. um, and 45% of the public says they believe in ghosts. Uh, the same percent say that they believe in demons. So this isn't just Christians. Almost half the population is saying that they believe in these things. And then you get into why. Well, people have had different experiences. Things have happened. And so I think... 
I think what is happening is Hollywood aside, because we know Hollywood's interested in talking about it for the shock factor. I think most of us will talk about it. And maybe there are stories. I mean, I can't tell you how many friends I have who have stories and they're afraid to share them. Like they'll, they'll kind of share them with you in secret or because you don't want to be labeled. I mean, look, I'm going to be the weird book guy now, right? So you don't want that label on you. And I understand that. I had some people I was really pursuing who had amazing stories of healing because that was my focus. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to understand how do you overcome and move through it? Um, And they just wouldn't, they didn't want to do it. And I totally under, I totally understood why that was. But I think when you go out and you ask, and and so we did this, we went through HarperCollins and we Mm -hmm. interviewed about 1200 church leaders. So these weren't just pastors. These were volunteers, Sunday school teachers, people who had leadership roles in churches. And and we said, hey, do you think demons can control, you know, culture in some way? Can they impact culture? 87% of them said yes. Can demons impact individuals? 85% saying yes. I mean, this isn't that shocking because the Bible tells us these things. But when you ask the question, are your churches talking enough about these things? 78% said, no, they're not. And that was, a, again, a really convicting moment um, that where you kind of say, okay, the churches are not talking about it. So why? And I think there are a lot of reasons for that. And I'd love for you to agree or even disagree on this. I'd be so curious to see what you think. But I do think materialism has crept in to the church. I think you have a lot of churches that um, and a lot of Christians were very consumed with the here and now, and it's very hard not to be when that's all we see around us, right? I also think that there is a fear of looking strange or weird, and some of it's well-intentioned. I think I think some Christians go and they witness to people and they start with the end times and demons, right? It's like, you know, mm-hmm. the, end, the end is coming, and it's like, well, for somebody who doesn't understand the core of the gospel, that sounds crazy, right? And so... Mm-hmm have to be very careful with these topics. And then it doesn't help that you have Hollywood throwing out, you know, spinning heads and pea soup flying out of people's mouths and all these other things mm-hmm. that create that perception of strangeness, even though it's entertaining. It's sort of like, oh, is this what this is about? And so you have a lot of different factors. But again, and I, and I keep saying this in interviews because it's so compelling to me when I look at how many times this is talked about, it's not mentioned once in scripture, it's repeatedly mentioned, and there's more than one story. And when I use that word story, I mean, these are events that happened, we, we believe they happened as Christians, but of Jesus healing people. And so when you look at the, if you compare how much it's mentioned to how much it's talked about, it's a little shocking because I think it's pretty deficient on the discussion you know, amount compared to what we see in scripture. Yeah, you know, it's really true. And I think it's also helpful just to have conversations about it, I think, and just to be aware of it. Because sometimes I know like people have asked me that when I've been working on a project or something and, you know, it's maybe not a project that, you know, is going to be received um, in a specific way or it's really fighting for, you know, good over evil, something like that. And, you know, my Christian friends will ask me, you know, how we've been feeling lately. And it's not everybody that knows to ask that. And I don't even think that. And then they'll kind of say, oh, you know, I'm going to start, you know, praying for you and praying for protection and spiritual protection. And then you kind of start putting things together. And again, you don't want to like over obsess with it and say everything is this, but kind of realizing like, oh, well, it's good to at least have a little perspective 
in that, I think. Absolutely. Well, and that goes back to that whole, you know, it's not about flesh and blood, that there's this other thing going on. And I think it's so easy to get stuck in the, we're here right now and this is all there is. And I think even Christians, we do this. Like we just, because life gets busy, life gets crazy and life is what's before us, but yet there's so much more going on. And we have to be, I mean, we have to be careful with that. And we have to treat that with, again, we don't obsess over, but we're aware of it. I think the danger in not being aware of it. Well, I guess let me even back up, you know, before that. If if I don't understand evil, if I don't have a concept of true evil and what it really is, how do I understand good? I almost feel like we by not talking about this, for me, when I finished the book, I felt like, wow, I have a much clearer understanding of what evil is. And it points me back to the need for Jesus, right? It actually points me back to that wow, this is why I really need Jesus. Like this is, there's so many things in our world. I mean, you turn on the TV and you watch the news for five minutes and it is very clear that there is good and evil and it's becoming easier to see, I think. And then part of me is like, is it just because I've been looking at these issues that I'm seeing these things now or or is it becoming clearer and are we really seeing the effects? Now, I'm not saying everything is demonic, but what I am saying is that there is very clearly a cultural impact to our disconnect from faith, I think, in this country. And we're probably going to see more of that, but um, that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, there's so much again to unpack there. No, absolutely. And I think that um, what's kind of interesting too, is just thinking of it in a psychology sense too. I kind of picked up on that. That was interesting in your book that this idea of people kind of starting to minister to the whole person, I thought was interesting because I feel like obviously a lot of things are psychological and are mental issues, but understanding that it could be something else. How, how did you kind of find like psychologists or counselors that, that are doing that or that are at least open to it? Um, like you were saying before. Yeah. You know, for me, when I'm doing research, one of my favorite things to do is go to people I trust and to ask them, you know, who have you, who are you hearing about that is dealing with these things? You know, with, with uh, Richard Gallagher, the psychiatrist I mentioned, I didn't, again, I didn't interview him. I did spend some time with him, which was nice to get to talk to him. But I started there because it was fascinating to me that CNN and the Washington Post and some of these other outlets had actually given him time, airtime, and also writing time to put op-eds up explaining his work with the Catholic Church. That was not something I had noticed. It doesn't happen very often, but he has been outspoken. And there are others in the in that community who have, have really worked with him. And when I spoke with him. It was interesting and even reading what he's written that there are a lot of other people in in the scientific community who are very open to this actually and it's not spoken about a lot. So I started diving in, okay, who do I know and who do they know? And so I would go to people and they would say, "Well, I'm not willing to talk about this, but I know somebody who is." And so Mary Moller, who is one person I spoke to in the book, she has she's fascinating. She's a nurse um, who has dealt with these issues of mental health her entire career. Um, she teaches on this topic. She's also a very strong Christian, and you know she was able to talk through what she has seen. And so I was able to kind of find these people who are very compelling and who are working in their field and who know that not everything they're dealing with is mental illness, but that you have to be so careful because you don't want to be mistreating somebody, giving them the wrong treatment. If they have a mental health problem going on mm-hmm. and you're acting as though it's only spiritual, that's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, when you talk about ministering to the whole person, it begs this uncomfortable question of, okay, well, let's say somebody does have a spiritual issue going on and you've only been trying to treat it with physical and mental treatments. Right. And they're not actually being healed. And so I will tell you, there are some 
exorcists and people who work in this world who will tell you that they get a phone call a couple of times a year from maybe a, a mental health center where this center would never make this public, but they're saying, hey, we have a case that we really need you to look at um, because this is beyond anything we can control. So even in that world, there are people who they're reaching out to the faith world to try to understand this. And that was so compelling. I just, I didn't realize that sort of cross-pollination was going on. And I think it's great. I think we need that to make sure that we understand that the vast majority of cases are of, of alleged possession are not actually possession. They're explainable, but that it does exist. And beyond that, that there are people who are facing oppression and we can get into those differentiators and other such issues a little more frequently than we might realize. And you also talked about how healing was a big part that you wanted to get across in the book. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that and about maybe specific example of like a modern day situation where either someone has been healed and kind of talked to you about it or you know of it, but maybe they're not comfortable talking specifically to you? Yeah. In fact, there's there are a few cases in the book. Um, the one I mentioned, the Indiana case, um, I won't get into that one because that one's super, I mean, we can get into that one after. That's the most mm-hmm. compelling documented case, I would say. But there's a woman named Amy and her story really was compelling to me. When I was writing the book, I started looking, something told me just go on Google news and like, let's see, has there been any local affiliate that's covered somebody's story? And I was laughing when I was doing it. Cause I'm like, yeah, nobody's going to cover this. And then I stumbled upon Amy's story in Arkansas. There was a local affiliate that had decided to go out and cover what had happened to her because they had heard about it. She was a nurse and she was completely healthy, never had any history of mental health. She was working in a hospital one day, and this is a woman who's married. She has a family, and she's working. She treats this burn patient who had been involved in an explosion, and the assumption was that this explosion, and it's a minor detail, but it's an interesting one, uh, was at a drug house of some sort, that this explosion happened. This person survived, was very badly injured, so she's treating him, and as soon as she finishes treating him, she just starts feeling very ill. She doesn't feel like herself. Her mind is not clear. She can't even fill out the chart to write what it has happened. So she goes home after her shift and she's a runner. So she goes out to go for a run and she can't even run in a straight line. Like Mm -hmm. something is very off. And so she goes to her husband and she says, listen, I think I'm having a nervous breakdown. Like something is not right. And she's a nurse. She's aware, right? That something's not right. Mm -hmm. So within eight days from that moment of not feeling well, Eight days later, she finds herself in a mental institution. Um, She had been placed on antidepressants. They start putting her on medications. They start sending her around to different clinics and hospitals to try to figure out, is this physical? Is it mental? What exactly is going on? And so this, this manifests itself in bizarre behavior, doing things she never would have done, uh, speaking in other voices, telling people she has a demon, which she doesn't remember. Mm. And so... Some would look at this and say, okay, this is mental illness. She clearly cracked and she's, and so I think that's a legitimate response to it when you hear the story. But then, and this is, there's something about her story that just kind of takes my breath away when I tell it or when I think about it, because it's so horrific. Eight months into this, she she said she was suddenly feeling as though she wanted to end her life. And she was a nurse, mm-hmm. so she knew how to do that. And she would think about different ways she could do it. And she had never been suicidal. She never experienced that before. And so one day she goes up to the second floor window of her house and she sits on the windowsill and she's facing inside of her house. So her back is to the open window and she doesn't jump. 
she just felt compelled to drop herself out of the window. Okay. And so as she's describing this, I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, it's so horrific. She doesn't even try to break her fall. She just drops herself out of the window, mm-hmm. lands two stories down, um, breaks almost all of her ribs, breaks her back, mm-hmm. and to this day is paralyzed from the waist down, um, almost dies. She's in the hospital. And this woman hears about her story because the church, her church, by the way, Amy's a church goer, and that's what makes her story very interesting. She felt as though she was a Christian when this happened. And that's a very big point of debate, Mm -hmm. obviously on this topic, but she's in the hospital. This woman comes and prays over her and performs a deliverance. What we would call basically uh, the Protestant version of an exorcism Mm -hmm. prays over her commands, these demons to leave said that when she got to the room, she could sense that there was evil there. And Amy said that she was on so many drugs and medications that it took a while for her to cycle off. But once she was off of those drugs and medication, she never experienced any sort of issue like this again. It was done. And I'm truncating a lot of the story, but it was fascinating to me because I've interviewed her repeatedly. I find her very compelling. I don't think her family loves the fact that she's speaking out about this, but she feels like there are people who need to hear this story, who are going through the same thing. And man, I don't know, right? I mean, what do you do with a story like that? Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. And, you know, it's interesting too, because you kind of, you were talking earlier about, you know, you don't want to invite anything in. And I do think that's like, that's a fear for sure. And, but it's also something where you have to remember that, you know, again, Jesus is in control over these things. And so it's like, I think it's interesting because this obviously podcast is about doubt and faith and kind of the relationships of them. And I, I don't know. I think it's it's one of those things where even though it maybe if someone is, you know, fearful of this or knows about it or feels like it's, you know, a true thing and is not a Christian, I, it, it can almost lead you away from religion, right? And spirituality because you kind of want to get away from it. And, you know, it's the idea that, you know, Satan's a liar and he'll kind of get in there and he'll confuse you um, and also doesn't want you to know about everything that's going on probably. So I think it's interesting because it's actually the opposite that it should probably do. You know, it should probably, you know, if we're going to be thinking about these things, we have to think about the other side of it, which is that Jesus, you know, conquers it. But I had one, I have another question that I wanted to ask you um, before we wrap up. The Ouija board. Mm came into my mind just so we were talking about this. I should have asked you earlier when we had more time probably, but that I have always been so freaked by. I've never like, I don't want to be around those things at all. And I think, you know, that's one of the things where you think, oh, you're just taking it too far. Even astrology, like things like that. You're like, oh, it's just a game. And it's, you know, how in a way, I mean, again, like you were saying, not getting super anti-magic in any form, maybe if that's what you believe, but at the same time being aware that it does come in in deceiving ways, right? And ways absolutely. that are in the game. What was your experience looking into that? Yeah, absolutely. And what's so interesting about those things that you just mentioned, because I think as Christians, we have to pray about what convicts us. And if you feel, mm-hmm. if somebody feels that Dungeons and Dragons or, you know, Harry Potter, whatever it is, that it, that there's a conviction there, then you have to act based on that, right? right? I think what you just mentioned, when we talk about the Ouija board, we talk about astrology, these are tools that are meant to give us faith in something else. I mean, their entire premise, right, is to make us look somewhere else for either the future or an explanation of our lives, 
when it comes to the Ouija board, I have always been the same way. I've been freaked out. I've never touched one. I've always avoided it. I was brought up to stay away from them. And yeah. I was actually more freaked out by the Ouija board after researching it and looking at the background of it, because mm -hmm. the key question in my mind as a journalist is, okay, and as a Christian, but, but really as a journalist, where does this come from, right? You've got this game that's being sold. Mm -hmm. Thousands of people, millions have bought it over the years. Where did it come from? And it, it's really a fascinating and disturbing history. It started in the 1800s and it was called a talking board. And it was a psychic mm -hmm. named Helen Peters, who was allegedly involved in um, helping bring this to fruition for the purposes of speaking to the dead. And so it very quickly became a tool that was being mass produced and being sold. And what's really sad about it is that during war times, we've seen the use of the Ouija board increase dramatically because people are desperate. They lose loved ones. They want to communicate mm -hmm. with them. And yeah. so there's this history with the board of using it in those ways. And there's also a history of it being a parlor game of this fun thing you do at a party. Right. And, you know, America has a history with that, right. Of diving into the occult for fun. And yeah. so this board has been there consistently throughout all of that. And so this, what we assume is this harmless toy. When you go to the Amazon review page and you start to look, because Amazon sells it like everybody else. And you see people's stories. They're giving it one star. And of course, they could be lying, but there's so many of these stories of what happened to them and why you should avoid it. And I thought that was interesting, but I found the history very compelling. One random detail that stuck out to me is that the guy who was mass producing this board and selling it, um, his name was William Fold. And in 1927, he went up on the roof of the factory that he built to produce the Ouija board and was replacing the flag at the top of it and fell off of the building and died. And there's sort of, I won't call it an urban legend. There are historians or people who say that he had felt that the board told him to build that factory. And so I went on, you know, I, again, I'm a fact person. So I found his obituary, the New York times had actually written about it at the time. And you can pull mm -hmm. the clip up and you can read it. And it's like, there's just this very eerie history and it's not this harmless game. There are plenty of people mm -hmm. who, well, let me say this. The vast majority of people may never have an issue who play with a Ouija board. But those who do report having very intensive issues and mm -hmm. things that sometimes disrupt their entire lives, and that's a doorway for, for a lot of people. It opens mm -hmm. them up to, to the demonic. And I think, you know, we've just got to be careful. And that's the entire premise of it. It's not just a game. People are using this to try to reach the other, the other side, or so they believe. Really, really, most experts will say, in the Christian world, you're not actually reaching the dead. You're reaching evil, you know, and they want you to think that, that it's the dead. So there's a whole, yeah, there's a whole history I map out in the book, but it's, it's eerie. It's yeah, it's crazy. I think, you know, a lot of times I'll kind of, and I've heard from other people, you know, to pray over portals, like any portal in your room or whatever that, you know, you're in a new room or a new house and you kind of pray over those areas just, you know, because why not? I mean, for me, like somebody who does believe in that, you know, I think, a healthy understanding is good, but also a faith that Christ is bigger than anything yeah. like that. And uh, I think this is, it's a really great book. And it really, it really does show that I think the kind of culmination of, you know, that this is not something we need to fear um, in an unhealthy, obsessive way. Are there any final thoughts that you have or that you wanted to share? Yeah. You know, when we talk about doubt, I just, cause 
you know, I love, I, first of all, I love that you're doing this show. I love that you've committed mm-hmm. to do it. I think it's, it's so powerful and it's so needed. Yeah. Um, so when critics, you know, and, and atheists and others sort of come at this, I find it fascinating because it's easy to say, oh, this is all crazy. It's all wild. It's all bizarre. Right. But life is, I mean, I look at our existence, our human body is so complex. The world around us is so complex and our actual consciousness and existence itself is supernatural. And so when you start to get into these things and you start to understand them, it becomes, I think, less strange or less weird and a little bit more of at least, if I were an atheist, at least the intrigue. And I think we see this. I mean, I've heard from atheists who have picked the book up because they want to understand it, right? They're curious. They've seen the movies. They want to understand these inexplainable, unexplainable hauntings or these events they feel like they've gone through. And so I think it's important that when people are doubting, because you were saying before, this can very easily be something that can push people away. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think we as Christians need to approach it and understand it ourselves first and have these conversations so that we can actually appropriately help others understand it. It's another one of those gap areas that I think as Christians, there's a whole world out there and there's people who are curious and they have doubt and we can help answer some of those questions when we understand these things appropriately. Absolutely. No, that's so true. Well, thank you so much for coming on uh, the show. Again, the book is Playing With Fire by Billy Hallowell. And yeah, it's really great. And it's a good read just to understand also what the Bible says about these things, because I think that that's something that is sometimes overlooked, but you know, doesn't need to be. But um, again, thank you so much. This is so great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much again to Billy for joining me on this podcast um, and for being such an awesome supporter of the podcast as well. Um, Just always there to answer questions that I have about what I'm doing. So this is just great to be able to talk with him. And I hope that you got something um, out of this conversation you know, I think I think it's a tough topic to talk about because it is a little bit like Billy and I were saying. It is a little, I don't know, scary or like intimidating to talk to people about it because you don't want to come across like you're obsessed with it. But maybe you've had experiences where, you know, you feel that you've experienced this in some way. I mean, everybody experiences things a little bit differently, at least in my experience with this. Um, I said experience a lot right then, but... <laughs> I feel like on a topic like this, A, we just have to listen to each other and hear each other out. And again, like we said, not obsess over things like this, not obsess over the spiritual world, but also be aware that it does exist if you're a Christian and you believe in the Bible, then, you know, we have to believe that this exists. And, you know, I think that, like I told Billy, it has personally helped me to think that way sometimes about things. And again, not to like, blame random bad choices or random things happening on that, but just to be aware of ways that you can pray through situations and be specific about the things that are going on and realizing that um, you might be under spiritual attack and not, not recognize it fully. But anyway, I think that it's, it's something that it's important to recognize, but to not be afraid of. And so I think that's a great thing that Billy's book talks about too, because again, it comes to this very light place. It comes to a place of healing, a place of talking about how, yes, we might believe in these things and we do believe in them as Christians, but at the same time, we also believe that there is someone so much greater. There's a God so much more powerful than any of that. And he is on our side. He's helping us. He's 
supporting us and he's with us. And that's a very, very powerful thing. Um, just to, again, speak the name of Jesus, again, can be something that, you know, that that pushes these other forces away. I mean, I, I do believe that. And again, it's hard to talk about. Like, it's hard for me to even talk about it right now in this podcast. And we just did a whole interview on it. Um, but it's important. And I think that, um, again, it's something that when we're talking about doubt, it's easy to either push that away and say, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to think about spiritual side of things or to become too obsessed with it, too into it um, in a way that's not healthy. And so I think that there's a balance there that we have to kind of constantly be figuring out. But at the same time, this, this reality of, you know, evil it shouldn't push you away from faith, but it also shouldn't make you too, I guess, reliant in a way. Maybe that's not the right word, but not make you too obsessed with the idea of spirituality or in a way that it affects, you know, you and you're, you're fearing it all the time. Because I think that that's, that's easy to do too, because things that we can't see, we can't fully understand can be scary. But the truth of it is we have a God who fully knows everything about us and everything about these other forces. And he is more powerful than them. He has conquered them. Jesus has conquered death. And again, I love this book is really good playing with fire and Billy talks about this. So check it out and, and read it if you're interested in this, or if you feel uncertain or um, a, a little, a little, scared of this maybe because he goes into so much detail about what the Bible says about this and what Jesus says about it and how we have victory over these things. And so with that, I just uh, thank you all so much for joining us today and for listening to this and for also taking this out into your own life and your own culture and and traditions and questioning them too. And, and can maybe maybe being convicted on certain things like Billy and I were saying, everybody kind of has to decide where they're convicted, what their line is with these kinds of things. And you might be super strict on it and you might be looser on it. But I hope that this helps you to think about it a little bit, to think about a, how this shouldn't affect our faith in a negative way. It shouldn't make us afraid of believing in spiritual forces at all, but it should also um, really push us to Christ into inviting him into these things that we're not sure about and that we might be a little bit afraid to talk about and afraid to think about a little bit because that's totally valid. All right. Well, thank you so much again for joining me and I hope that you have a lovely rest of your day. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Doubting It with Charlotte Pence Bond on the Edify Podcast Network. Tune in next time for another powerful exploration of faith, doubt, and all that's in between. And for more faith-inspiring podcasts, download the Edify podcast app on the Apple and Google Play stores or at edify.app.